Welcome back to JAG Ministries Bible Study. I'm Jeffrey, Minister and Chaplain with JAG Ministries. Now, last time we finished chapter, uh, chapter 1 and started to unpack chapter 2 in our study of James. So let's go ahead and get started. In chapter 2, James was talking about favoritism. And we're going to continue James's discussion on favoritism, beginning with verse 3. And of course, like any good study of the Bible, we first have to read the Word. So if you have your Bibles handy, go ahead and turn to the second chapter of James. And let's begin with verse 2, which is going to lead us in to verse 3. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and find apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and you say to him, You sit here in a good place. And say to the poor man, You stand there, or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves, and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this, of this world to be rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But have you dishonored the poor man? Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For the judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, the description of the two men is leading us into verse 3. They pay attention or show special attention to the rich man. They look in favor on this man to give him assistance. The rich man is the object of attention as he is shown a good place or a good seat to sit at. Now in contrast, the poor man, he's abruptly told to stand here or, or stand there, probably perhaps in the back of the assembly or in some other out-of-the-way place. His other alternative is to set at my footstool. Now, the term footstool is another way of saying, sit on the floor at my feet. This was considered a lowly place. The contrast between the rich man who has a good place to sit versus the poor man who must sit on the floor heightens the discrimination. Now, verse 4 shows the expressed condemnation of this practice is put into a question, but in a question, James expects the readers to agree with the conclusion of, have you not shown partiality or have you not discriminated? And he puts this in question format for his readers. Now, before I continue to verses 5 and 6, I want to stress something here. Although these two men are dressed differently and in appearance, 
they are different. We need to look on these two men as Christ would. Christ sees two men. He sees their hearts. He sees their attitudes. In the text here, and because James is making a point, there is no one who once says, let us get to know the poor man. They are strictly looking upon the parents only of these two men. The basis for showing favor or partiality is wrong. Those acting in this way have become judges with evil thoughts. In judging between these two men, the readers have become unjust judges. Now, James starts out in verse 5, stressing to them to listen, to pay attention to what James is saying to them. He wants them to put extra thought into what he's about to say. We are seeing a couple of arguments of the practice of favoritism here. We can call the first one a social argument. Social snobbery of the world is short-sighted and it's superficial. The believers that James is talking to is showing the same type of favoritism and social snobbery. The early church wasn't drawn from the wealthy or the ruling classes. Keep that in mind. It was largely made up of the poorer people, those who were poor in the eyes of the world. By saying that the believer's poverty is poverty in the eyes of the world, James suggests that they're not really poor. They are rich in faith, and they are heirs to the kingdom. Of course, the aspect of the kingdom that James has in mind is future. It's the eternal life. Now, something to point out is to understand that not all poor people are rich in faith, nor does the rich, are they excluded from the ranks of the saved. God's choice of the poor must not be uh, taken as based on any merit that's inherited in poverty. One reason God has chosen those who are poor may be seen in the account of the rich young ruler. Jesus indicated that those who have riches find it difficult to enter God's kingdom. Many who are rich are only concerned with material wealth. They allow their wealth to stand in the way of everything else. All they care about, all they're concerned about, is their wealth. Jesus says that it is easier for a camel to enter the eye of the needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. In Bible times, Jerusalem was surrounded by walls, and you had to enter by certain gates. And at one time, people were bringing their camels into inside the walls, into Jerusalem, and they were having camel races. And many people were getting hurt and getting killed because they would get trampled by these camels during these races. So as an effort to remedy this behavior, they made a gate just big enough for a person to walk through, but it made it almost entirely impossible for a camel to get through. If a camel was to get through the gate, or if it was able to, it would have had to have gotten down on its knees and try and 
wiggle through the best it could. Highly unlikely that a camel was going to do that. And I doubt that camels did do that. Now, although very difficult, and maybe a camel could eventually figure it out and get through it, but it was almost impossible to do that. But they called this gate the eye of the needle. That's where the term comes from. But God blesses those who willingly recognize their spiritual bankruptcy. The poor people and God also choose uh, the poor because he selects those who have nothing or are nothing in themselves so that no one can boast of themselves before God. Now, James gives four reasons why a believer should not favor the rich and look down on the poor. Let's take a look at those. Number one, we dishonor a man that God honors. The poor, or the poor man, is God's elect, and to be rich in faith, and they are heirs of the kingdom. Now, rich people are poor in faith because... They trust in money. They don't trust in God. The second point or second reason is that rich people as a class have oppressed the people of God. They have used their money to oppress them. Thirdly, the rich habitually use evil or harsh speech, or harsh speech involving the name of Christ. And fourthly, it violates the law that you shall love your neighbor. We should treat them as we would like to be treated. Now, certain acts are sinful because they are basically inherently wrong. They become transgressions when there's a specific law which forbids them. Partiality is sinful because it is essentially wrong in itself, but is also a transgression because there is a law against it. Now, transgression is the breaking of a known law. Sin is any lack of conformity to the will of God. It's a failure to meet his standards or his laws, if you will. In verse 6, James mentions how the rich treat the poor with partiality. To them who are rich and, and oppressed, to those who are considered poor, and dishonored as being beneath them. So they are dishonoring these poor people. They think that they're, the rich people think that they're above these poor people. And so they are, the rich people will oppress these poor people. There are many ways in which this is done, but James speaks of a couple specifically. James mentions that the rich take the poor to courts. And the courts we are speaking of is, of course, the legal system, if you will. The rich are exploiting the poor. They are showing brutal and tyrannical deprivation of the rights of the poor. James says the rich drag the poor into courts. Now, this could be understood to mean a literal dragging of someone against their will to take them to court. But now we see in verse 7 that the rich blaspheme or lie against the poor. The blasphemy can be, maybe it's making up lies to accuse the poor. That's very possible. But they are also blaspheming the noble name of Christ. 
Christ's name is described as noble, excellent, or honorable. Now, honorable is a word that refers to what is kind or morally good. This noble name is the name of him to who you belong. The name of him, of course, is Christ. Now, this expression clearly reveals that it's an Old Testament background. A person was dedicated to God by calling God's name over him or her. That act indicated that the individual belonged to God. So Christians bear the worthy name of Christ as an indication that they are his people. To show favoritism to those who blaspheme, that wonderful name, is the greatest incongruity or inappropriateness of them all. Christ claims the poor for himself, and because we are his, we are Christians. So basically, the rich were saying the poor are not God's people, in an essence. Taking us into verse 8 now, James now proceeds with his moral argument in providing the practice of showing favoritism, the question of rightness or wrongness of showing partiality. The commandment to love one's neighbor as oneself is not described as the royal law simply because of its lofty character. Rather, it is because it is the supreme law to which all other laws govern human relationships are subordinate to. It is a summation of all such laws. The one who keeps the supreme law is doing right. The right course of action is to show favor to everyone, whether one is rich or poor. Love overlooks such superficial distinctions as wealth and the quality of fine clothes. It shows kindness to a person in spite of any distasteful qualities that a person may have. We have arrived to verse 9, and whereas in verse 8 depicts the positive example of one who fully keeps the law, verse 9 sets forth the negative example of one who breaks it. To show favoritism is not merely to be guilty of an insignificant fault or a social impropriety or even a wrongdoing. It is just a flat-out sin. Such a conclusion is based on legal grounds rather than general human opinions. Those engaging in partiality are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Now, a lawbreaker in biblical terms is a sinner. We hear that a lot. Someone's a sinner or they've sinned. They're basically a lawbreaker is what that means. Now, having just cited royal law in verse 8, James says that anyone who shows favoritism breaks the supreme law of love for one's neighbor, the law that comprehends all laws governing one's relationships to one's fellow human beings. Now, since we are running out of time, folks, let's go ahead and let's stop here, and we'll pick this up for next time. When we pick up next time, uh, we'll start getting in to verses 12 and 13, where James is going to start giving a warning, and that will lead us into the relation of faith and action.
So thanks for listening, folks. Until next time, God bless and keep living Christian strong.